0: Welcome to a special episode of Do Justice, the podcast. the fourth episode of the special Lenten series, Contagious Hope. My name is Brianne Swan. I use she and her pronouns, and I am Minister for Social and Ecological Justice with Shining Waters Regional Council, part of the United Church of Canada. Contagious Hope is produced and hosted by the Reverend Alexa Gilmore of Windermere United Church in Toronto, and is available every Thursday throughout the season of Lent on the Do Justice podcast feed. To ensure you won't miss an episode of this special series, as well as other upcoming Do Justice broadcasts, please be sure to subscribe. And now here is Alexa Gilmore with Contagious Hope.
1: I'm Alexa Gilmore, and this is Contagious Hope.
2: Last gasp of breath that they take before uh, they pass. And you're so helpless, you just cannot do anything.
1: Even before the pandemic, India was the world's largest manufacturer of vaccines. About 60% of the world's vaccines are produced in India. Today, India is poised to be the largest global manufacturer of the COVID-19 vaccine, and yet, by the end of 2021, some equity analysts estimate that only 22% of India's population will be vaccinated. This is in marked contrast to countries like Canada, where experts predict to complete the vaccination of its population by the end of the same year. That means India's frontline workers in healthcare can expect to be managing the pandemic well into 2022 and beyond. This is a devastating crisis that has already claimed the lives of at least 156,000 people. But as much of India's population is rural, the numbers are likely to be much, much higher. Currently, India has the largest number of confirmed cases in all of Asia. When Indians get sick, my next guest is there, saving lives, mourning deaths, and advocating for his patient's care. Dr. Atish Ayappa is a medical doctor and a practice in Cordova who was working at the Nair Hospital since the start of the crisis in March. At that time in Mumbai, still known to many as Bombay, the city served over 18 million people but only had 14 ICU beds. Dr. Ayappa was there and consulted on the very first COVID case to hit that city. Thank you, Dr. Atish, for taking time to speak with me today.
2: Thank you. It's my pleasure as well.
1: Tell me, um, Atish, about the hospital that you were working for. I understand at the start of 2020, uh, there was a shift in the Nair Hospital's response to coronavirus. Can you tell me about that?
2: Um, Yes, so initially uh, uh, we we, we were uh, the, you know, one of the, we were actually finally the only hospital amongst the the Municipal Corporation Hospitals in Bombay to be a complete uh, dedicated COVID center and uh, we had to uh, stop all our routine procedures, routine admissions as the entire hospital, which is around 1600 beds. Uh, the entire hospital was converted to a completely COVID hospital. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a huge shift uh, from you know seeing cases on a daily basis uh, without any or with minimal protection to you know be able to go in with your full care and uh, you know, and look at patients and treat them and give them the best uh, in that uh, in that kind of scenario or in that setting rather. Yes.
1: So from that very first COVID-19 case in Bombay, which you consulted on, to the many hundreds of cases uh, for months afterwards, you've been a frontline worker. It it doesn't get any more important or dangerous than the work that you're doing. Can you tell me why, day after day, you get up at the start of a shift and and head to uh, the epicenter of a crisis like this?
2: uh you know actually uh we were expecting this uh kind of crisis uh, but not to the uh you know the seriousness or the extent that we saw there so uh, we as doctors it is only our duty you know we were uh you know we chose this uh, path so it becomes our inherent duty to uh, give our best to the patients irrespective of the situation irrespective of whatever uh, you know you can consider it as the enemy so we have to face it every day so uh, that was uh, the entire outlook uh, by everyone in the hospital that we have to fight this and you know save as many lives as possible so that was the only aim when you wake up every day
1: and how serious did it get? Uh,
2: you know there was a Point when all our beds were full. So when we say 1,600 beds, uh, because of the distancing and other uh, norms that had come in, I think we had a functional capacity of around a thousand beds, thousand to thousand one hundred. So I think uh, in May, in the months of May and June, we were completely full. All the thousand one hundred beds were completely occupied. So, you know, we had this, uh, we even had this painful situation where we had to uh, turn away patients because we just didn't have enough beds with us. So, we, you know, we have seen the worst patients getting up and going and we have seen a very healthy patient come in and, you know, just pass away just like that right in front of our eyes so it's it's we've seen a broad spectrum if you would put it that way
1: I can see that what are the stories over the last few months that will stay with you your whole life
2: um you know there are a lot 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 of uh, stories Uh, there are good ones there are equally bad ones as well
0: a few of them
2: yes definitely (laughs) um I would like to start with the sad ones so that I would like to finish on a happy note. Um, So you know, uh, there was uh, this grandfather who had come in. So he had let moderate to severe COVID. We got the CT scan done and uh, you know, everything was explained to the son, the grandson, everybody. And uh, despite uh, all the therapy, he was not improving. You know, uh, we by that time we were uh, grappling with a shortage of drugs during the initial time. So, so we were saying, uh, we were telling him that, you know, see, uh, uncle, you have to take this medicine, you know, you have to put on the mask for oxygen and all that. And do you know what he said? He said, I am 90 years old, I have lived my life, you don't give me anything, you, you, you know, you give these drugs to the young people who need it. He was selfless. uh, Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: So, uh, he did not make it though, despite our best measures. But, you know, these are things, you know, these kind of incidents just stick to you. And they just remind you of how selfless people can be, even in the most adverse of times. So, yeah, so this was one. Uh, The other was of... uh, a young patient, maybe around 40-45 years so he Mm -hmm. did not have any comorbidities and uh, you know he had a lung involvement of say around 25% that's about it Mm -hmm. he was walking, talking and uh, this was on the first day of his admission he was not uh, worsening so you know we thought everything was fine even though we had started him on prophylactic medicines that we do, we start all patients on anticoagulation and all that And uh, the next day, uh, I was just finishing up my rounds and I was just sitting and putting a note uh, on the patient. And uh, he just walked to the bathroom and then he just collapsed. Just just there, just like that. Oh my. And uh, you know, you really don't know what is happening and you're just running around. So everybody knows now that COVID has this uh, tendency to cause blood clots. Right. So in all probability what would have happened was uh, that uh, there would have been a massive blood clot in his lung which would have gone and uh, you know choked the entire supply to the heart and the rest of the body. So such things you can, I it's very uh, this I still remember his face his you know that last gasp of breath that they take before uh, they pass and you're so helpless you just cannot do anything so that's the kind of uh, scenario that we have faced.
1: Atish, you're telling me just two stories, and I'm I'm cognizant of the fact that at any given time you had a thousand stories in your hospital and many more that you had to turn away. Tell us one yeah. of the stories that are hopeful, that keep you going. Uh,
2: so, yeah, so there was... Uh, this uh, man who was around 50 years so he had come in with a severe covid infection you know uh, it had the ct had showed more than 80 percent of lung involvement and very frankly very frankly we thought he would not make it because mm-hmm. that's how he had come in and uh, there was this time when there were no icu beds or anything of that sort so uh, we said we will do what we can in the ward in the general ward Mind you, it's not an ICU. It's not, uh, we don't, we didn't have any uh, specialized setting for him at that point of time. So we put him on uh, uh, something called as a non-invasive ventilation. We gave Mm -hmm. him uh, the best of the drugs that were possible. And we just waited on him. That's all. And he improved. He actually improved gradually. He was a very positive man. I'll give that to him. He was always saying I will make it, I will make it so positive psychology also played a big role so yes, so he went home after I think a record stay of around 26 days in the general world not even in an ICU, in the general world so Amazing. when he went, when he left he he just put he just uh, wrote a note for all of us and uh, you know <laughs> that that just keeps you going that makes you so happy that you know they actually appreciate your efforts, and they're thankful to God, they're thankful to you, that the entire hospital. So yes, so this was one thing that will always remain with me.
1: I can hear it in your voice, and I and I and it just fills my own heart to uh, to know that story. I wonder what the role of positivity and hope, but also fear and burnout is playing in the lives of your colleagues uh, in the hospital?
2: Fear, I don't think uh, we were... uh, Initially, yes. Initially, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of apprehension, um, you know, uh, regarding wearing the entire uh, uh, kits and then, you know, going in, facing patients. You know, we, we were scared, like, would we contract it from them or how contagious is this thing? But I think uh, after the first 15 days or so, we were all already accustomed to it, you know, we were like, it's okay, we have something that is protecting us or at least acting like a layer of uh, insulation. So let's just go in there and uh, give it our best. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was something that was quite good for us. And uh, fatigue, I think it had started to set in towards the end, towards mm-hmm. the end of October and November. Uh, because you're just seeing the same things day in and day out. Uh, And, you know, wearing that PPE and doing an eight-hour shift is is not easy. Not easy one bit. No. So you're mentally drained, you're physically drained, and, you know, uh, at the end of the day, there has to be something good.
1: There has to be something good. Was any of that good found in your faith tradition? in the cordova tradition
2: um i would i would say uh, so Kodavas we are basically worshippers of the worshippers of our ancestors and uh, of uh, nature so our mm-hmm. main deity is uh, the river Kaveri. so you know every day was uh you know like a prayer to the ancestors to you know just keep us safe Mm -hmm. and help us to keep moving every day help us you know give me the courage to face whatever it is whatever adversity that we are facing right now just give me the courage and strength to do it so that was that was the thing that's how we at least that's how i got through uh, or i'm still going through the pandemic
1: Atish, I add my prayer to yours, that you are kept safe through all of this. And when you hear that 22% of the population is expected to be vaccinated by the end of 2021 in India, what does that mean for you as a frontline worker who's planning to go back to Bombay and do more of this COVID-19 care?
2: Um... Given that uh, it is going to be uh, only 22%, it is just going to be a very small fraction of India's uh, huge population. So I, I, and the other thing is there is a lot of fear and apprehension regarding the vaccine as well. So I really don't know who will come forward to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and uh, I'm assuming that the rural areas uh, will be receiving it towards the end which is uh, something that I feel is uh, not a good idea because if you would see, if you would have read the news that, uh, you know, there is currently a second spike in Maharashtra Mm -hmm. and they have all hit the, you know, how would I put it, the semi-urban or the tier 2 and tier 3 cities, as we call it, you know, they were more towards the rural than the urban population and that just shows that uh, you know you need to take uh, precautions and vaccinate everybody on an equal setting on a war setting if if I may yeah and just go in full force and do it it's it's not difficult that much I can tell you because we've gone about taking swabs from everyone so it is it should be equally uh, you know it shouldn't be such a cumbersome task to go in and vaccinate everyone.
1: Do you know what so, the barriers to the vaccinating of the population are?
2: Um, I would say they would. I would put it across as, uh, first of all, a lack of uh, manpower, if I may, mm-hmm. because you know you have to go in. You have to convince people. You have to. Uh, Put the vaccine, you have to watch for adverse events, so that is time consuming. So, I'm and I don't think people would want to wear a PP or this thing and uh, give the vaccine and sit there and observe it. And the other thing would be predominantly people's own apprehension towards the vaccine. You know, if you go towards rural India, you will still find that people will say there is no corona, in fact, mm. so they are still not quite uh, educated or uh they still I, I don't they're just refusing to accept that there is something like this which is a very big killer so is these there are a the role? two main
1: yeah hmm. thank you is there a role for you or is this a role for someone else to help with the rollout of the vaccination
2: Uh, i can i can educate i can go about and educate people i can tell them that you know you need to take the vaccine and it is it's a good thing and uh, the 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 good thing is that the indian government is offering it free of cost Hmm. so the cost barrier is definitely not there Uh, educating people uh, bringing about awareness amongst them is something that uh, i can help in doing so that would be my role with respect to the vaccine
1: Is there a role for the global community in supporting the work that you're doing at the front lines in India?
2: Uh, You know, India has, if you would ask me personally, India has done a great job in uh, self-sustainingly manage this pandemic Mm -hmm. uh, with respect to the drugs, with respect to the lockdown, with respect to the vaccine even. the one thing that uh, uh, that can be done is like i say again and again educating the rural area and educating the poor especially uh, with respect to you know awareness and uh, maintaining social distancing the basic things the basic ideas are something that have to be put across that uh, is something where the international community can actually come in and uh, help us in getting that message across
1: Mm. I'm aware that our listening audience are people of faith predominantly in the Shining Waters region of Canada and a little bit beyond what message do you have for them and how would you like Canadians to respond to the stories that you've shared today
2: I (laughs) Uh, that's a very, very difficult question. I. Mm-hmm. It would be grateful if they could empathize with me and they could understand what uh, their fellow brothers have gone through. Uh, in India, uh, given the situation, given the you know, given that the socio-economic status in India is not. As good as that in Canada,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so. There was a time when people were actually struggling for a meal a day, you know, just, right. to, just to survive. So I would like them to just uh, understand that point or the gravity of the situation that we had faced. Even though now because the lockdown has cleared and people have, you know, slowly gone back to resuming their jobs, uh, they are still able to uh, fend for themselves to a certain extent.
1: Atish, this has been really heart-opening to, to share stories uh, and hear them from you today. I don't know if there's anything else that you had hoped to share. I, I,
2: I didn't think I would uh, say so much, so <laughs> I think I've just spoken a lot. <laughs>
1: Thank you. This podcast, Contagious Hope explores the way love has spread over the last year. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, When I was sick, you looked after me. Dr. Atish invites us to walk with the afflicted, to turn from the despair of what we've lost and pour our empathic hearts into service for those who are healing and dying from the coronavirus. As we move through the second wave of this pandemic, I hope this podcast has you wondering, how will I boldly, creatively, lovingly answer the call to be at the side of my neighbor today? For there is no lockdown on love, no quarantine on God's grace. This is Alexa Gilmore, and I'm sharing these stories as a way of inviting you, the faithful, to the front lines, the back alleys, the migrant fields, the lonely rooms, the ICU beds, and every place where Christ is found. Contagious Hope is produced by Reverend Alexa Gilmore with assistance from the McGeechee Senior Scholarship awarded by the United Church of Canada Foundation. Special thanks to our guests and our editor, Peter Restivo. To share your feedback and join in the conversation, email gilmorealexa at gmail.com. That's g-i-l-m-o-u-r-alexa at gmail.com.